Hi, and welcome to another edition of Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm your host, JJ Walsh, here in Hiroshima, Japan. Seeking Sustainability Live is a talk show to find inspiration and insights from people around Japan. It's all about finding better solutions with the options that we have now in terms of finding a better balance between people, planet, and profit, the basic tenets of sustainability. In today's talk, I have the chance to talk with Tyler Walkie and Arik Fallet. Tyler is originally from Hollywood. He grew up on Hollywood sets and now creates beautiful video and photography content for the town of Kito in rural Japan. Accentuated with music composed by Alrik Fallet, originally from Norway. Here we talk about the projects in Kito, Tokushima to promote the local people, the rural lifestyle, as well as employment, services, products, tourism appeal, and the natural beauty of the area. In this episode, I hope you enjoy the original score made by Ulrich called Yuzu Ogonomura. The interview starts here where I ask Tyler and Ulrich how they ended up in Kito, Tokushima. Yeah, I think the story starts with you. So, um, yeah, I first came to Japan in 2007, uh, working on military bases in Okinawa, teaching swimming to kids, kind of a random job. Uh, and then I kind of went back and forth. That was just during the summers. 2010, I moved to Tokushima uh, to help a friend start in Aikaiwa. And I just really loved the nature here, but I was more in the city. And so I went back to the U.S. again and then found out about the JET program. I'm sure many people watching maybe know about. Uh, so I was an assistant language teacher from 2012 to 2016 uh, in Tokushima again. So you can choose where you want to go in Japan for that program, but most people don't get their placement. But because nobody really knows about Tokushima, I got Tokushima. <laughs> so I got placed in、uh, Tsurugicho. And I was there for yeah, three and a half years.、Uh, then I left again, went to New Zealand for a couple of years. And while I was there, I found out about a job opportunity here. Came back in 2018. And I was doing some video work on the side、uh, just to kind of、uh, show people kind of what I could do and see if I could sort of move into that industry more. And I did and ended up here in Quito working for.、Uh, This company with Alaric. Alaric and I actually met when I first came here in 2000, when I came back here in 2018.、Mm. Uh, he was working at a guest house with his girlfriend at the time. They were managing the guest house. And、uh, he's a composer and I did video work. So I said, hey, let's do some stuff together. Yeah. And yeah, ended up getting this job. And I basically told my boss that I want you to bring him in as well. And they did. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was doing a guest house for a year in Ia Valley, which I guess it's slightly more known Inaka countryside place in Japan than、yeah. here.、Uh, so we did that for a year、uh, when I met him. But then at the time, I was on a working holiday visa. So I had to go back to Norway again.、Uh, and while I was in Norway, we kept in touch and I did some more music for him.、Uh, and then he got kind of headhunted for this keto,、yeah. keto job.、Uh, And then he kind of hooked me into the loop, and now I'm here. 
Yeah, they said, come live in the middle of nowhere, Tokushima, <laughs> and, and do video work for us. And I said, only if you bring Alaric too. <laughs> Yeah, what what you guys are doing with the combination of original musical score and beautiful videography and photography to showcase the rural destination to try to entice more residents, but also visitors, it's a really good idea. And I think a lot of places in rural Japan are really struggling right now with population. Yeah. Um, so it's a really good idea in in a visual and audio combination way, right? Yeah, I think like the thing about the two of us, we're both kind of jacks of all trades. So we, we're quite deep into computer stuff, both of us. But Tyler has always had like a more main focus on video stuff. And I yeah. I have a de degree in music technology, but the music, the composing stuff has been like little by little over the years. Uh, so we kind of match each other well there. and it, we're basically quite like we has a lot of multimedia skill in such a small team. I think. Yeah. Yeah. We're also yeah. We kind of help each other in every way. Like he does music, I do video. Our personalities are very different. Like we, when we're doing something creative on a video, he has a wholly a whole different creative perspective than I do, and yeah, it just works really well. So. Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, so for the company, I think we're a fairly cheap, minimal production team. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we get a lot done with with a little with minimal gear and and uh, just two guys. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're doing our best. But I think, I think that's where our value is. Usually, we do stuff that you need bigger teams for. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like a, a good direction. I think I've seen a lot of rural revitalization projects and uh, having that combination. And then you also uh, collaborate with narrators to get good voice voiceover work. Um, you've collaborated not only with Quito locals and what they're doing, but nearby destinations as well. Is that right? Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Katsura is a, a town near here, very close to Kamikatsu, which is a, uh, you did a video with Kana and Linda working there. They're friends of ours. Uh, so we had, to, we got asked to do a PR video by the, the town office there in Katsura. And we knew, we knew Linda and she had done modeling work before. So she joined us for that project. And uh, yeah, actually for the voiceover, we used a, a website called Fiverr. Maybe you've heard of it, but you can find, yeah. It, find professional work for people all around the world. So we wanted to get a proper English uh, professional voice. So we actually tried a few people mm. for that one and, and ended up picking just the one. Um, but, yeah, it's yeah. like, uh, yeah, with the internet these days, you, it makes this countryside stuff a bit easier, I think. Yeah. Uh, like having that connection to the world, even though you're so far into nowhere. Uh, yeah. yeah could be like a key point to making a difference, I think. Yeah, even just daily life stuff, purchasing things and yeah, like, equipment and all that, we can go online and, and have it delivered here yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, especially in Japan, it comes in a day, even though you're so far into the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great to work with the yeah, local towns as well. And uh, this year, we've been trying to focus more on, on projects here in Quito. Uh, we were kind of getting spread out and doing projects around Tokushima, and we hope to continue that again. Uh, but yeah, only two guys and 
only so much we can do. So we're trying to, this year we've been trying to sort of figure out how to focus even more on keto. So we started a new series uh, called Keto Stories, where we showcase uh, people who have moved to keto. Uh, we've just posted our second video mm. last week for that. And we're, st we're filming the third one right now. Yeah, that Keto Stories looks like a really uh, great way to introduce and, and talk about locals. And this is something that I saw in the NHK video um, featuring you and your work, Tyler, recently, is talking with your boss. And your boss was saying, don't just show the beautiful countryside and nature. You need to also focus on locals and share the stories of what it's like to live here. Is that right? Yeah, that's... Yeah. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And also when I first came, Alaric wasn't here yet and I didn't know anybody. So that first video, you have the thumbnail there now is uh, the first video I made after being here just for a few months. And so it, it was all just, it was also not only, I mean, it's true. My boss agreed and wants to show more about the people, but uh, I think I was also still getting to know Quito at that time. And, and so when I had just come, I, you know, I wanted to see the sites and I want to see the beautiful places and catch the, you know, all the beautiful parts of Quito. And, and I'm really glad I did that. And now I'm more diving into the people. Uh, so it's kind of worked out kind of a natural progression as well. Mm. Yeah. And it looks like you're doing a lot of beautiful work uh, using drones. And yeah. there was actually a special rule giving permission for the area to use drones. Is that right? Uh, yeah, they have like... Uh... To make it I think easier, like a, I yeah, heard. license to use drones most of the region here, I think. Yeah, Nakacho has a, yeah. they even have a map called the drone, uh, drone, drone map or something. Actually, we were just in the town office yesterday and I was looking at it again. But yeah, they, they have a lot of special rules here. Um, it's not completely free to fly everywhere, but it's basically drone friendly. And there's some places you have this drone map, you can get at the town office and they'll have the phone number of locations and they'll say, whether you need to get permission ahead of time or not. Some places you can just fly freely. Some places you just call and say, hey, I want to fly tomorrow and just letting you know. And they say, okay, and that's it. So it's very, it's much easier than a lot of other parts of Japan for sure. I don't know if you, this is the drone mainly that we use to film the videos, but. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know um, a lot of, there's a lot of drone restrictions around Japan. So that is definitely an asset for doing what you're doing in that area. Uh, thanks for joining Peter from uh, Colorado on the HAPS team. He says, looks absolutely beautiful. He says, nice. nice. Is that a Phantom 4? Yeah, Phantom 4 Pro. It's been around since 2016. I got this when I was living in New Zealand, but it still, uh, still keeps up 4K, 60 frames per second. So it works pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And he says he's a drone pilot and instructor at UC Berkeley. So you're you're from that area. You came from California. Yeah, Hollywood, I'm from, is that right? Yeah, from Los Angeles. Yeah, near near Universal. Yeah. Um, so I grew up uh, in the industry. My dad's in special effects. Uh, I worked on a few movies with him, but I actually didn't do video work professionally. I used to be a, a video editor for a while. And then not really till coming here did I start doing camera work. Mm. Yeah, you do some beautiful photography and videos. Um, so far that I've seen on the Vimeo channels and the YouTube channels, uh, which we'll put links below after. Uh, drones, I think, are, are really important uh, to show the, the big view, the overview of the area. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually how I started 
video work was with drones. So I used to fly RC airplanes as a kid. When I moved to Japan as an ALT, I actually brought my RC airplanes, two of them from America. I shipped them to Japan and I would fly them around the local uh, areas where I lived. And then the, Go the first GoPro came out. So I stuck that on there and just flew around with a GoPro on it. And I really thought it was beautiful. So then that was kind of drones were just starting to people were just starting to make drones at the time. You couldn't buy them. So I, I built a couple then and uh, got some footage there. I started and a YouTube. something you want to show? Oh, yeah. Here's one that I built. These are, uh, this is a racing drone. But yeah, so, uh, but basically, yeah, I started out doing drone videos and I started a channel called Awa Drone. You can check it out if you are interested. I haven't posted in a while because, uh, yeah, I got kind of tired of just drone footage myself. I think the whole world was fascinated by drones in the beginning and then, uh, eventually, you know, you can only take so much aerial footage, you know, so I wanted to mix it with other things. So I started using a regular camera and trying to make more proper, uh, balanced videos using drones and yeah. regular cameras. I feel like it's a market that's been a little bit behind in Japan. Like, uh, even though the drones has like taken the world with storm, it's been a little bit slower here. So it's kind of a good entry point for, yeah. for you as a drone pilot, I think. Yeah, when I first started in Japan, I would fly my drone and, you know, people would just, that's so cool. What is that? It's mm -hmm. like, I've never seen something like that before. And then now every time you fly, it's, it's a drone. Are you allowed to be here? What are you doing? <laughs> so now everyone knows. But back in the day, no one cared and everyone thought it was fascinating, especially in Japan, because they'd never seen anything like that before. Uh, sometimes I'll be somewhere really remote and I'll feel a bit nervous because I think there's like a swarm of bees coming to attack me. And then I realize it's a drone. It has yeah. a very similar noise as yeah. like a swarm of bees. So then I feel relieved that it's just a drone. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're becoming, It's. I think it's been like a, the beginning nobody knew and they thought it was fascinating. Then everyone was kind of scared or you know, but it's kind of coming back to where, like you said, it's it's becoming so normal that it's it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah, like even this far into the countryside, I feel like it's. Uh, I really remember like when I came here the first summer before moving here, uh, and me and Tyler joined this local uh, event called Iponori, where basically you're, you're riding a log down river, uh, which is connected to like the the sugi cedar industry here in oh, this area yeah there you go <laughs> uh and uh, he was bringing his drone and you have like this 90 year old uh, cedar ojichan slowly going over looking at his drone and it's like it's a really interesting picture of really old school japan yeah, that guy. that's yeah, the guy that's the guy yeah uh uh where like <laughs> This really veteran, hard-ass uh, <laughs> cedar orgies uh, and the, the kind of younger generation with modern technology. And yeah, I kind of find that mix interesting because you have a lot of clashes like that in this area. Yeah, he, he's a photographer. And uh, before COVID, I saw him at a bunch of different events. And uh, but he's been doing the Iponori for like 30 years, log riding. And yeah, he was really fascinated with my drone. So he yeah. kept asking me lots of questions and... <laughs> And uh, yeah, that was pretty it's, fun. It's absolutely fascinating that they do that uh, yeah. in your area. It's, it goes back to uh, practice from the 1930s, you said in the Quito video. Mm. And it looks like here there's a contest uh, where you did a time lapse from the contest of all the people trying to stand on logs. And I thought riding a stand up and paddle board was difficult. And I'm looking at this thinking, oh my gosh, that looks so hard. Have you yeah, tried it? 
<laughs> yeah, I was in that that tournament there that I was filming. I actually was in it too. So like while the time lapse was going, I did my run down there and then came back out and grabbed my camera and kept taking more footage. Yeah, um, it, it's hard. The, the log just keeps rolling in the water. That's like the it's like you don't have to balance yourself. You kind of have to. Yeah, you're balancing the, the log more than off the log more yeah, you're almost your, grabbing yeah. it with your feet so it doesn't want to roll. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very difficult. But they have practices every week for like the two months leading up to the competition. And people come, at least before COVID, people were coming when I practiced from all over. Uh, Hiroshima and even the guy from Osaka and stuff would come on the weekends. They'd drive all the way to Quito and practice and then they'd come for the tournament. Mm. So, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool event. I find it quite unique. It kind of has a little bit of that... Uh, uh, adrenaline thing that pe travelers are seeking when they do rafting or like outdoor things like rock climbing and stuff like that. But it also has like this connection to the old and the local culture. And yeah. Yeah. The feeling that crutch, I think is something fairly unique and nice. Yeah. We were really looking forward to, uh, we have a guest house coming up. I'm sure you'll mention, um, later we'll mention later, but, uh, we were looking forward to having like the guests try out, you know, try the Ipon Nori practices and all that. So we're really hoping that, you yeah, know, the next couple of years set up something uh, yeah. like, after, yeah. you know, vaccines and all that stuff get all figured out that people can actually start doing it again because the last two years it's been canceled. So, mm. yeah, well, it looks like a very unique uh, point of appeal for the area that I've never seen anywhere else in Japan. Uh, but like Kamikatsu as well, they used to have a very strong logging industry. And you also interviewed a young uh, kind of young entrepreneur who moved down to become a part of the forestry industry and try to revive that a little bit. Now, the, yeah. when I visited Kamikata, they were saying one tree was only worth $10, like a thousand yen. So yeah, there to needs to be people having some kind of value in bringing the forestry back because we need domestic wood importing wood from other countries is really unsustainable. Well, it's also for the environment, uh, you know, obviously it has a, an environmental impact, the industry, but it's, uh, it's important to, like you said, maintain it enough to, so that if, if no one touches it and it just gets left on its own, it's, it's actually going to cause even more problems. So, um, yeah, when I was interviewing, uh, the guy in the NHK video that you're, that you're mentioning, um, yeah, he talked a lot about that and how it's, uh, you know, he's, he he's a big advocate for the environment and all that, but he's still trying to figure out how to make that industry more environmentally friendly. And also, you know, they need to be maintained and they need to be uh, cut down and groomed. Otherwise it'll cause even more problems. And because the industry is here and they planted so much already, you know, it's, it's an opportunity that should be, uh, yeah, used, I think wisely. So. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, for sure. Something happens there. I'm, I'm reading, and uh, Alric, you know uh, Alex Kerr because you were working in the Ia Valley. And Alex mm. Kerr wrote a very famous book, uh, Dogs and Demons, and uh, talking about the, the quick planting of all the sugi trees around Japan yeah. and how it's created so many problems. And I experience this all the time when I go hiking. If you're walking through a sugi forest, it's very quiet. There's very little natural life. Mm -hmm. When you go through a diverse forest, it's suddenly cooler and you hear the sounds of nature. So you realize all the problems that were created from this monocrop of one yeah. kind of tree just planted so quickly. Such yeah. a shame. So it definitely needs to be used, needs to be uh, thinned out 
they're so close together. It's creating lots yeah. of problems, right? Yeah, I think like part of the problem here is like, like you said, that just planted loads of it and then the price for it went down and then yeah. it's kind of left alone. Yeah. Was, uh, nobody kind of wants to do something with their... Yeah, the problem is that, like you said, the value of the tree went down so low that it now costs them more money to cut them down and to sell them. So they have to figure that part out. And, and uh, yeah, also, I mean, there's a lot of other issues with it um, because they grow so fast. The roots are shallow and they're very heavy trees. So it causes landslides and, uh, and um, also the allergies, you know, the hay fever in Japan is a, is a big thing. And it's become such a normal thing here that people, Oh, it's hay, you know, hay fever season or whatever, but that's actually something that was born from the cedar monocrops mm. as well. So yeah, it's definitely a, a d touchy, difficult subject, but. It is, it is hard and it's very politically charged. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love that part of the NHK video when you were watching old films and seeing the heritage of the area and how logging was such an important part of the industry there. Yeah, it, it was a very big part of the industry. And now it's sort of like, like we just talked about, it's, it's like left over now. It's still here and they're still doing it, but it's not anything what it was. And now they're really pushing yuzu here in Quito, which I think is, is good. Um, but yeah, the seed industry was a big part and I'm glad they still celebrate it with the Ipon Nori and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's local companies here also that use Sugi to create uh, products. There's a company right next to our office called Woodhead. Um, and they make chopsticks out of uh, Quito cedar mm. and sell them all over Japan. Actually, you maybe saw them at uh, Polestar Cafe in Kamikatsu. Um, a lot of Woodhead's products are sold there as well. Mm. Yeah. That's also like an effort to try to do something good with all the leftovers cedar, I think. Yeah. Because uh, they also have like projects where they focus on trying to revive the mountainside with more normal trees like the Yamasakura. Yeah, that and... same company, the head of that company, Woodhead, uh, he also runs a project, the Yamazakura project, I think it's called, mm -hmm. I don't remember. But yeah, we've we've joined him a few times planting uh, more native trees in areas around Quito. So to try to combat that a little bit. Our, our, our boss actually in our company, Fujita-san, he's also... Uh, a big advocate for returning the trees back to their natural, back to the natural uh, uh, native species, and so he's he's actually cut down trees in, at our campsite. We have a camp uh, a campsite that's run by one of our subsidiary companies, and they cut down the, all the cedar on one whole mountain, and they're already replanted more native species there. Mm. Oh, that's great to hear that there are people so actively thinking about how to make the forest more diverse. I, I talked to uh, Jun Kobayashi, an arborist who works with temples around Japan to take care of their ancient trees. And he's trying to make use, like you said, of the wood from these trees and to try to make products which then fund what they're trying to do because there's very little income in just taking care of the trees. So having mm -hmm. something to sell from the wood is, is definitely an important part of the process, right? Yeah, yeah, not just selling the wood itself, but actually making something out of it directly locally and then selling that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like the part of the key to solving that problem. It's like finding the right product that could uh, compensate for uh, financially a little bit of all that yeah. cedar. I think like selling the cedar as it is isn't isn't financially beneficial enough. Yeah, that mountain there, Konose Gorge, that's just a few minutes from where we are right now. Mm. Um, and those are all, that 
that whole mountain I don't think has ever been touched. Um, so it's all native species and it's quite a famous uh, area for coming to see the fall colors. People come from all over, even even from Honshu to come check out the fall colors here in Quito mm. during yeah, uh, you can always you can always tell a diverse forest when you look up at the mountains, right? Because yeah, you see yeah. diverse colors and you see different shapes. Uh, when you look at a quickly planted cedar forest, it it all looks the same. It's very uniform, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, let's talk about the guest house a little bit, Ulrich. I'm really interested yeah. in the guest house project. Yeah, I'm also quite interested in the guest house project. <laughs> it's been the big part of my life the last last year or so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, it's one of the reasons I came down here because they wanted to have, or I wanted to have something to do besides the music because that's probably fifty percent of my time now. Uh, so when not doing that, I've been planning this guest house. Uh, and yeah, basically, I've been designing logos and planning, yeah, planning most things myself. Actually, it's yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah and stuff like this. I, if I can make it a little bit stupid, that's where where I become the most happy. Yeah, Alaric yeah. always adds some I fun love, personality things. I love that kind of you're adding a goat, and then the next one there's like a chicken, and then there's like a <laughs> possum or something. And I was like, wait, is this real? Like I was totally. <laughs> it's, it's a concept. It's not completely. <laughs> yeah. I hope it will become real, but it's not real yet. <laughs> no, yeah, he hopes there'll be goats and chickens walking around. Yes, but... I hope yeah. there definitely will be goats and chickens walking around. Uh, yeah, so I've been working on that for a year or so, uh, but then there's been Corona and then there's been uh, money discussions and things take time. So, uh, yeah, I think we're at the stage now where we might see some more progress the coming months, but I'm scared of promising anything because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking back at the history so far, it's in the, yeah, it's been a lot of back and forth. Yeah, but it's... It's definitely progressing, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's maybe not going as fast as we had liked, but yeah. it, it's still looking very promising. Like it'll happen hopefully next year. Yeah, all the designs and everything is kind of ready now. So yeah, it's more like everything you're yeah. done. Yeah. So it's more a question of uh, if uh, how to finance everything, or like how much the company is going to pay for, and how much uh, support they're going to get from the government, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're trying to find solution for all. All of that kind of stuff yeah yeah and there's definitely uh pros and cons to being a part of a big company like we are because if it was you know just us and we were the only ones doing the the guest house and we were the only ones making decisions and the only ones paying for it you know i think there are cheaper solutions for building something like this and mm. there are more diy solutions and things like that but you know it is a, a bigger company we want to do it properly and there's a lot of things that came up with earthquake regulations and when you're when you're, you know, a lot of people in Japan might remodel a house sort of DIY and they don't obviously think about that kind of stuff. But because we're doing everything sort of by the book, mm. uh, a lot of things came up uh, that had to be done for the septic systems and the yeah. earthquake proofing the building and, and doing all sorts of things. So it's going to be a very, uh, you know, properly built uh, yeah. structure and should last a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting thing. A quite unique guest house if it becomes what I believe it will become. So any idea when you're going to open and accept visitors? Yeah, last February was uh, <laughs> was when I thought we were going to open. <laughs> now, uh, 
the carpenter says uh, the construction might take uh, three months or so, maybe a little bit more because there's struggle with wood and uh, ironically, yeah, uh, yeah, ironically speaking of the previous subject. Uh, yeah, so there's. It's, I think there should it's be not just it's not just cutting the wood though, is it? It's you have to process it. Yeah, and so, yeah, we could go up there and chop form. it down ourselves, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> you have to make it into a form that the builders can use, right? Yeah, I think the problem is it's more costly to do all that than to import from America, say, yeah. uh, which is what Japan mostly does: import their yeah. wood from America. And now that there's like wood shortage in America, that also affects Japan. Uh, so yeah, we, we talked about this before. If you're trying to remodel a house, quite often the remodel companies will say, "Oh, we have to import because the wood in Japan is no good." But mm. when I talk to Japanese carpenters, they always say, "No, the wood in Japan is very good. Yeah, uh, we need to use it." let's mm. let's raise our game let's only source local wood so yeah, you yeah. keep having to ask for it the remodel companies go to the the quick reaction of we have to import import is better but that's mm. not sustainable and it's really not a good a good solution to our domestic uh wood problems right yeah i think that's very true yeah it's especially sad when you see how much cedar is available around here uh but yeah, it's. I guess the it's need to find the cost-effective way to do it. That's uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's the problem. Is they need to like we just talked about in the last conversation is figure out a way to get it from tree to usable wood in a, a in a way that is cost-effective for the buyer and for the the uh, the person processing the wood. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Louise has joined from New Zealand. Thanks for joining, Louise. Tyler has spent some time in New Zealand. Yeah, I lived uh, in Queenstown for two years. I love it. Oh, nice. And uh, she says, what area are you in? Sorry, I came in late. So they're in Shikoku Island, uh, which is kind of the middle of Japan and uh, two hours drive from Tokushima City in a town called Kito. Is that right? Yep. If you look at the lower right part of Shikoku and you just point a finger at the very middle of the, the green area, the most rural part you can stick your finger, that's where we are. So it's the, the, the green area. The green area, yeah. We just have rivers and, and rain and and uh, yeah, middle of nowhere, but we like it. Yeah, population of uh, about a thousand people here. Mm. Yeah, isn't that incredible? And it looks like uh, on the NHK video that you did, uh, you had some success in getting some new people to come uh, who have been admiring your work. So you actually have a lot of international residents, is that right? Yeah, we, yeah, we have a few. It's, it's becoming more and more. There's a girl from Romania that moved here recently. Yeah, she's yeah. in the video you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. in NHK video. Yeah. Her and her husband Nobutasan. There, uh, he's Japanese. He's from Tokushima, and yeah, she's from Romania. Yeah, yeah. There are always new faces popping up here and there. Uh, I'm not sure how much of that is our fault, but I hope <laughs> so some of it is our fault. <laughs> Alex, very humble. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we obviously don't know the direct impact, but the Keto Stories videos we're doing is is kind of directly targeting that those people. Um, after NHK came and after yeah, Nobutasan came and said that they liked our videos and you know they really were inspired by it. We kind of got the idea to okay, let's not just show how beautiful Keto is, but let's show actually people who live here mm. and how they got here, maybe what they did before they came. So our last video we did was Hatori-san. She's 
25. She graduated, a, got a degree in agriculture in Sapporo, and she just moved here recently. And so that was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, we kind of want to show that it's possible to live here, whoever you are. It's yeah. not so, uh, it's, it might seem a bit crazy from the outside, but it's actually, well, it's inconvenient in some ways, but yeah, it's all. Plus and minus is like anywhere else, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and the different one unique thing about Quito, maybe compared to other places, is we do have jobs, um, and we have jobs because, uh, I mean, there are other companies not connected to us, but also we mentioned our boss Fujijasan. He's doing a lot of different projects and companies. There's a Yuzu company here. That's the company that Hatori-san works for. Um, they've been around now for 15 years, I think. Uh, there's a, a big campsite, uh, Camp Park Quito. Um, there's a Mirai Combini, so we just opened the convenience store. Yeah, so I think like people is like the toughest resource to get enough of around here. Yeah, especially like with people moving away from the countryside. Uh, but usually, like if somebody wants to get in touch with our company or do something or like have an ID or something they want to do, there's usually a pretty good chance to get some support from our company or yeah, like yeah, exactly. The, the, sub companies yeah there's other companies we mentioned woodhead and a few other companies but yeah um maybe unlike some rural places there are you know we are growing and we are uh, trying to build more projects and and guest house and all these things so there are jobs that uh, we're looking for people to fill that's great i i love this story um of yoko is it who yeah. came from sapporo yeah yeah Hattori's not, yeah yoko and she speaks English really well. Uh, she's a bluegrass a musician. It's yeah. a really interesting story. So is yeah. it possible for people to make enough money by coming to the town and being yuzu farmers or finding local jobs? I think can, like, you, can you the, survive? The, yeah, I think you can survive, no problem. It's not, survival is not necessarily connected to super high salaries though. If that's what you want, then it might be tough. But the thing is, like, you don't really use any money here either. So, like, yeah. even with the low salaries, you kind of—I save way more here than I ever did in Norway. Now, Norway is particularly expensive, but still, yeah. We shouldn't necessarily say the low salaries. We don't know what Yokosan makes or what anyone. Yeah, we, no, have, we have no I, idea. I know what but... my girlfriend makes. <laughs> the average salaries are around Tokushima countryside yeah. in general, which but... is not like sky high, but. Yeah, especially like when you live in the countryside, I think uh, it's it's enough to get by. Well, for example, my rent is is one one mon per month. So yeah, and rent is super cheap, and yeah. So all for the anybody out, there, food outside and Japan, yeah. that's about a hundred dollars a month for rent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's we talked about this with Byron and Kaori Nagi, who moved outside of Tokyo to a rural location to do organic farming, run a guest house. And they were talking about different values. Like in the city, you might think you need that Starbucks coffee every day. But when you move to the rural area, you realize I don't need to do that. And uh, I don't need that extra expense. And you have a more simple life. So a more simple salary that helps you survive. And you have you know low, lower costs for your housing or food in the local area, you yeah. can kind of readjust what your values are for your life. Is that right? Well, yeah, I think, but I think that's part of the key too. If 
you want to be happy in the countryside, especially if you come from the city, it's like that readjusting might be quite tough, especially the first year or so. Speaking of coffee, what was the first thing you asked when you came here this morning? Uh, coffee. But we have <laughs> coffee here. Don't mind the Starbucks. We have coffee here. <laughs> yeah, I said <laughs> we made him a smoothie. I said, sorry, no coffee. But yeah, so you get what you can get when you're here. But, but yeah, you can survive. with. with in that. my home, there's plenty of coffee. <laughs> is, is there any coffee shops around? Yeah, there, yes. there is actually. There's a coffee, kind of city-like coffee stand right next to our office called Tanizaki Coffee. Uh, which has a really nice lady that has time to talk to you about stupid stuff too, which is kind of nice compared to Starbucks. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little bit of the city city coffee stand yeah. mixed with the extra time you have in the countryside. But it's yeah. a good yeah, it's an interesting topic too because she she actually runs a um, a clothing brand called Mayacon M A Y C O N. Yeah. Um, actually, you're wearing it under there, aren't you? Yeah, I might. Um, so she has a, a clothing brand company, and she sells online. Yeah, and like making T-shirts and yeah, slightly, yeah, a little bit more than uh, the normal casual. Yeah, and she makes bags and all sorts of things, and she has kind of a following online. And I think she just wanted to do something else on top of that, just to kind of be more interactive with the locals, I guess. Mm. And so she has a little coffee stand that's connected to where she makes her clothes and stuff. So you just walk up to it and you press the little bell, you know, and she, oh, hang on a second. And then she'll come out and it's a nice little coffee stand. And she she lived in New York for a while. She lived in the UK for a while. Mm. Um, and now she's back here in Quito where she's from and she makes yeah, amazing What I also coffee. think is cool about that is like she controls her time better. She can she kind of sets up the opening time for every month and decides. She decides her own shifts if she needs more time for her clothing shop then yeah uh, there's less days open in the coffee stand but it's like but she's there quite often yeah. yeah on average it's like open most weekdays and yeah. uh, sundays but sometimes it like changes slightly but i think that's also kind of interesting how uh how she's chosen to manage her time which i also think is connected to well i think if you were in a city and you said oh you just randomly closed one day people would yeah. would uh, have a fit but here it's it's sort of that pace you know it's like oh I guess she's yeah. not open today. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. It's like it's like in Hawaii. Somebody might just hang a sign on the door saying "Gone surfing," right? I yeah, love that. pretty much. <laughs> in Norway, I think that's a kind of healthy life idea so that you don't really need to lock yourself down completely, at least to to your own business. It's important. As long too. as as long as some things are open, when people make yeah. the effort to get there. Yeah. As long as some things are open where they can eat or shop or do something, um, then you've got an asset there. If everybody shuts at random times and there's you can't depend on anything being open, that's that's not very good. Now, yeah. you, you did a, a great project with Mirai Convenience Store, which I hope is open more regular hours. Can you tell <laughs> us about that? Yeah, that's actually another just uh, about one minute walk in that direction. Um, it's uh, labeled as the most beautiful konbini in Japan. Yeah, um, recently all the buses that they won the Red Dot Award, which is yeah, Red apparently Dot. something that I don't know too much about. But it's a it's a high standing award. Yeah, previous years the Red Dot Award has been given to companies like Apple. I think got it for their building in California, and and so it's a pretty big deal. And they won it here in you know the middle of nowhere, Japan. They got an award, the Red Dot Design Award, this year. Um, but yeah, basically the Konbini was 
was made to fill a need because uh, here in rural Japan, the nearest konbini was an hour drive away. Uh, so, you know, our, our, our boss wanted to make a konbini, not just to fill the need of a normal konbini, but to also have a place for locals to come and gather. So it has a little cafe space and, and it's used for various events. And um, it was kind of built on the idea of showing uh, the kids that live here in Quito that there's a, you know, that there's a future for them as well. It's called Future Convenience Store and it's kind of designed for kids in a way. Uh, so they have, uh, you know, a little workshops there for kids and, and, uh, like a little library and, and, um, mm. yeah, they have little events where the, the, the local schools will bring the kids for field trips and go there and learn about different things. And, um, so it's, yeah, it's a very interesting concept. It's a, it is a, technically a combini, but it's not like any combini that I've seen. So it's sort of a multi-purpose mm. building. Looks great. I'm showing the video that you made, the beautiful video that you made right now. Uh, for some reason, the sound is not coming through. Ulrich, I apologize. We're not ah, able okay. to hear, <laughs> I'm used hear to any of your beautiful music. Um, yeah. But, you know, and people often say, how can you support convenience stores in Japan and support sustainability? But convenience stores are so much more in Japan in rural areas as a lifeline to regular food and drink, right? It's not yeah. just mm -hmm. an excessive, you know, thing as a as an extra part of your life, like no, in the not, big cities. Not so at all here. I, yeah, <laughs> I think it's really an important part of rural rural development and rural sustainability for sure. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a lot more than just a kombini here. It's it's a grocery store for the locals. It's a, a place to meet. It's a yeah, and a place to have events. It's 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 so many things. Yeah. Yeah, and also like uh, my girlfriend work, works at that store, and I think it's also a place for for especially the local old people to have somebody to talk to. So it's like more right like this this lady. Yeah, yeah. like this lady is. <laughs> I think it also lady. can help defeat a little bit of loneliness. Maybe I have a little bit of that sense at least. Yeah. Yeah, that... I, I think so too. I think the supermarkets as well, like the mm -hmm. malls in rural areas, they provide like a kominkan, like a community center type of, mm -hmm. of atmosphere. Uh, when it's on a hot day, it's one of the only places where people in the local area can get air conditioning. In mm. winter, it's it's heated, so they can talk to other people and they can you know enjoy the atmosphere, do their shopping at the same time. I think mm. there's a real community feel usually, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, so and I have a really sense like this, like compared to a city convenience store, the staff there have more time to talk to. Like it's you have more room to be a human, and they help out the local elderly population too. They'll come in and they'll. Yeah. You know, oh, come to sit here. What do you need? And they'll get it for them. And they're, yeah. they're, you know, how's it going? What have you been up to? Oh, what's going on with the farm? Or they, I don't know. They yeah. talk about all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. And his girlfriend gets like endless supply of <laughs> local vegetables and, and deer meat and all these things. Just yesterday or two days ago, they came over to watch a movie at our place and she brought over a big chunk of deer meat and said, yeah. I got a whole bunch of deer meat. Do you want some? So now we have deer meat in our freezer. We made yeah, some. We get too much. So I give to Tyler. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah. it comes a circle. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. interesting how connected everyone that, is. That yeah. brings me to my next question. Of course, it's more sustainable to eat local game meat and local local meat or fish. Um, but is there anything that vegans or vegetarians can eat if they make their way to keto? 
Yeah, there's yeah, uh, lots of plants. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, lots of farming. There's so much vegetables here. Yeah. yeah, she gets mountains. He gets mountains of vegetables from his girlfriend at the. Yeah, yeah, they're always dropping off bags of extra vegetables on our door. And when I first moved here, uh, one of I think it was like the second week, there was somebody uh, ringing my doorbell, and I opened the door, and it was nobody there. And I was about to close it when I heard like a sound from behind the door. So I had to like look around and it was a really small Ojichan with a big bag of uh, vegetables. Uh, <laughs> and he's kept supplying us for the rest of the year since I've moved here. So yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff like that. And yeah, and there's like a lot of you have a lot of local rice. Beautiful local uh, rice. Yeah, rice too. I yeah, guess there's I a huge rice field just right mm -hmm. here outside my door. Um, yeah, rice is pretty big and yeah, there's a lot of organic farming here. I mean, obviously not everyone does it, but uh, a lot of people that move out to rural Japan really believe in organic farming and, mm. and, and even our yuzu company. Um, that's, you can see most of those yuzu trees, those little spots, those are all yuzu trees. Most of those trees are organic. Um, they do use some, some of them are, are not organic because they need to look beautiful to sell to, you know, places in Tokyo where they just want it to look pretty. But uh, actually most of the farming that they do is organic. Mm. Um, so they, they do their best and all the fertilizer too, that, that they do use is, uh, is byproduct of the parts of the user that they don't use. So they have a, a huge area where they take all the byproduct, uh, the leftover product that they haven't used or sold from the user. And then they turn it into fertilizer and use it for fertilizing the, the fields and stuff. So it's, yeah, that sounds awesome. I see you have ume as well, Japanese plum, which you can make into ume shu, ume alcohol, or ume yeah. juice, or ume boshi, which is a pickle used in rice. Uh, you have the yuzu on the bottom right there, and a lot of delicious local vegetables and rice. So I think there's more than enough yeah, uh, plenty. for any, any plant-based visitor or resident as well. Looks awesome. Yeah, I would think it's easier to live. If, if you can cook yourself, it's easier to live uh, a vegan lifestyle here than probably in the city mm. in Japan, to be honest, because it's uh, vegetables and, and that kind of stuff are kind of expensive in Japan. But here it's sort of an endless supply of free, good vegetables. So. <laughs> I think like most of the elderly generation in this town has their own vegetable field or some kind of farm field. Yeah. So like it, when it comes to vegetable i think it's almost too much here and, and that's why everybody gives it away it's like partly to be nice but it's also because like if they don't give it away it's just gonna go bad well i think it's part of their social culture here it's they don't a lot of people here don't maybe necessarily make money from their farms it's more of just their passion and so like you said they have so much they kind of have to give it away but mm. everyone does it to everyone else yeah um that's where we we run into the problem is we don't grow vegetables, so we don't know what to give back. So we try to, you know, help out uh, with whatever we can. Um, Usually, like very understanding. Yeah, everybody. We have like this local woman that always gives us stuff, and my girlfriend, which is Japanese, always like is like, ah, we don't have something to give back. I don't feel that strongly because I'm probably a bit more Western and selfish. <laughs> uh, you accept uh, it all. You can also give back with labor, right? Like if yeah, somebody yeah. So, needs, needs weeding done, you can go and help out. Or needs picking of, of the yuzu, you can help out, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, which we do uh, in yuzu. But she also says like, uh, uh, yeah, she doesn't want anything back. She, like, it's, she says it quite strongly. Don't feel bad about this at all. I will just bring you more and more and more. It's like my my pleasure. I yeah, we, we feel bad receiving yeah. so much, but they, they, they love it. Yeah, they don't. I think they're happy to like be able to give. 
and happy to have new faces coming into the town. Yeah. Uh, and I think they get excited seeing the Norwegian, the little Norwegian guy on his, not little, the tall Norwegian guy on his little <laughs> scooter. He has a, he rides a scooter all around Quito everywhere. So everyone always sees him zipping by and. Yeah, I think I, I, think I was a character before I moved to Japan, but I'm definitely a character now. <laughs> yeah. Your your uh, personality becomes enhanced somehow. Yeah, I right? think so. Now, let's talk about mopeds because you include that in your video introducing the area, but you've also remodeled the moped to make it more sustainable. Let's yeah, see. Yeah, there's one right here. So this is maybe some people that know something about motorcycles or scooters in Japan. The the, the scooter that all the post office guys use here, um, the local post office, this is a Honda Super Cub. And there's a company in Shanghai that makes custom parts uh, for these to make them into electric. It's called Shanghai Customs. Um, it's actually run by a British guy, a guy from New Zealand, I think, and a guy from Australia, I think. Um, but they live in Shanghai and they run this company uh, to try to kind of give these bikes a second life. So this bike was from the 80s. This is like a four, almost 40-year-old bike. Uh, and I just basically cleaned up the frame, took all the parts off of it, and converted it to completely electric. So it has a, a battery in here, electric motor, and yeah, works great. And uh, this is more of a prototype proof of concept because uh, we had all these projects going on. And one thing about... Quito is it's kind of far away from the city, but also once you get here, things are kind of spread out. So we thought, why don't we make that into something sort of fun and a, a thing that customers can rent and ride around. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID and all that, we've sort of pushed that kind of stuff back. But the prototype's here, and I ride it all the time, and yeah. Alec rode it for a while. And it's uh, we take it. We had it on display at uh, the local bank in Tokushima City. Awa Ginko is like the Tokushima's main bank. Mm. We had it on display there for a month, and uh, it's gotten a lot of a decent amount of attention <laughs> yeah uh, and i think it deserves that attention to be honest i think if we can make like a, a few of them and make a rental service around the, this local area i think that could be a quite nice addition to yeah. see the countryside or like to yeah it's definitely something That's, i want to try to add to so the guest a, house so, yeah here's what That's it looks a, like before it's turned nice into Oh, wow. A nice, unique point of appeal. Yeah. Uh, you are seeing a lot of rental bicycle companies, a lot of uh, even electric bicycles, electric scooters. So it's uh, like a scooter, like a kick scooter type thing. But this is a, a nice idea. I haven't seen this yet. Yeah, it's licensed. Okay. It has a license plate. It's a 50cc license. So anyone with a driver's license, uh, even for a car, can 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 operate it. Um, and it's legal to go on the roads and all that. So unlike the push ones, you know, you can ride it anywhere you want. Um, yeah, it's kind of a cool concept. It goes about uh, 50 kilometers if you're lucky on a charge um, and will exceed the legal speed limit for a 50cc scooter. So no problem on speed. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a pretty interesting project and everyone yeah. seemed to be pretty excited about it. And then COVID happened and everything got slowed down, but it's... Uh, it's still very much in the, uh, we already have, you know, some other frames ready to go to be converted. So basically, as soon as we uh, decide to go for it, once the guest house and all that's open, it's very easy to make more of them. So, yeah. And it's a really nice way to experience the countryside, in my opinion. It's the first ah. time I rode it, it's like completely quiet. So even though you're uh, zipping through the countryside, you kind of feel the nature around you, which is. Yeah, it makes zero noise. Quite unique, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Well, you, you have that uh, 360 view, right? You don't have a roof to or windows to hinder your view. Yeah. Uh, Dada Kitty from YouTube, thanks for joining. She's saying, do you need a license to ride an electric bike? Yeah, this one you need a little. Electric bicycle you don't. This is a, yeah. in Japan, so it's different in the US, but in Japan, uh, if, you, if you don't have to pedal it for it to move, then it needs to have a license plate. So... Um, even bis bicycles where you can just give it some throttle and it moves. If you don't have to pedal, it has to be licensed. So most electric bikes in Japan, you have to be pedaling it and then it, it assists you. If it's an assisted uh, electric bike, then you don't need a license of any kind. But for this bike, it's the same as a 50cc scooter, which is like Alec rides a regular 50cc scooter and he just has a, a regular car driver's license. That's all you need. Mm. Interesting. Uh, we have about eight minutes left. Anything we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to discuss that you guys are doing? Any upcoming projects? How about giving us a little overview of the Keto Design Holdings Company? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so basically, Keto Design Holdings is uh, kind of the umbrella company for all these other companies here in Keto. Uh, we're a part of this company. I think there's only technically six members, I think, in Keto Design. It's a little confusing because everyone moves around, but... Yeah, it's, uh, it can say that it's started by Fujita yeah. Yasushi. Yeah, Fujita Yasushi is... Uh, Fujita-san is the one who started uh, Keto Design. He's the one... Uh, he, so he's from Keto. Uh, he's just turned 46 or 7, I think, so still pretty young. But about 20-something years ago, he started a company in Tokyo called Media Do. It's a digital publishing company, and they, they license out digital uh, work and uh, mostly manga and things like that. But uh, from what I understand, they're second to Amazon, so they're actually quite big. Mm. Um, and he wanted to figure out a way because of the problem all over Japan is that in other parts of the world as well as rural towns are sort of dying off as the older generations leave. So he's trying to figure out a, a formula to basically keep small towns uh, to build assets and to, to build off uh, the assets that are already available there and try to make a sustainable lifestyle and kind of ecosystem in these towns. And so Quito is sort of his test bed for that because he's from Quito. So he's doing the convenience store. Uh, the user company opened about 15 years ago, I think, uh, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, the Camp Park, uh, Camp Park Quito uh, it was just like kind of more of a glamping uh, campsite. And so it's really attracting a lot of uh, tourists from all over Japan, actually. Um, and yeah, we're doing a guest house, which is more targeted at uh, more backpacker, more cheaper mm. accommodation style. And yeah, basically just trying to figure out a, a, a way to create a sustainable system of, of companies and places for people to work and an eco, you know, uh, sustainable financial uh, economic system inside a small town. Yeah. And if it's successful here, then he wants to do it in other parts of Japan as well. Yeah, and it's also connected to the Yuzu, Yuzu industry around here. So yeah. he has like a Yuzu company too. So I, I think it's betting quite high on the on the Yuzu, Yuzu as well. Yeah. Trying to For make Keto, like, it's Yuzu, yeah. yeah. Keto like a Yuzu capital. Yep. Yeah, there's uh, some other projects that were in the works that are things are kind of on hold and shifting a bit. But there was a manga library that we were going to build um, because his company has a, a really deep connection with manga. So he wanted to make a manga library sort of in a, the, a beautiful picturesque manga library in nature. 
where people can be, you know, reading manga outside and sort of have, it's kind of the same concept as the Mirai Konbini, um, but more of a tourist attraction. Um, that's a little bit on hold now. They're sort of rethinking that right now. But basically, he's trying to come up with uh, projects and companies and ideas to uh, have jobs for people that new newcomers that want to come because the other problem is if no one young comes here, then then it's not sustainable. So we need younger families and, and children. And the school system here in, in Quito is, is really great, actually. Mm -hmm. They have a brand new, I mean, it's only a few years old, the school. It's beautiful, big uh, campus, mm. junior high and high school, all in our uh, elementary and junior high, all in one building. But yeah, it's it's actually a really great little town. Um, it has a lot to offer, and so Quito Design is basically in sort of the umbrella company of all those other companies and trying to kind of uh, yeah create the a future for Quito at least help. Mm. Yeah, that's what its goal is. <laughs> It's very, it's a really great concept, and it's the reason you guys are there doing the great work that you're doing exactly. uh, to have mm -hmm. some income and support for you to be there doing that work. Um, and it's having a, a great reach, not only in Japan, but around the world. So I think when things do move forward and inbound tourism starts coming back, you're going to have that appeal to new residents from within Japan and maybe yeah. even from abroad. Yeah, and we already have also yeah. the tourism appeal. So yeah, 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 it's awesome. Yeah, we already have a Norwegian, American, Spain, someone from Spain. Yeah. And uh from Romania. Yeah. But we're happy to check off more countries. So if anybody watching wanna come, yeah. go for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I really want to uh, introduce your music. Let me see if I can get this Vimeo to play the audio. Uh, this is I would your do the Hattori video if um, you can. Hattori. This is actually an older video. So to be completely okay. transparent, this is probably this, not me. This video is oh, before really? Albert joined the company. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, is, it, is it on Vimeo? Where should I look? Yeah, uh, Hattori's video is also on, on Vimeo, yeah. Vimeo and YouTube. Hattori. Um, yeah, the Yoko-san video you just mentioned. So she's playing the bluegrass, but actually all the accompanying music is Alaric, which I think is most impressive out of all of our work because he's taking her live music and and giving it giving it sort of a body and 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 life even more life to it, which I thought was pretty. He's pretty humble, but it's pretty amazing. Um, let's see if we can. I don't see Hattori. Do you have it there? Yeah, it's there. I will send it, you a link. It's under videos. Um, Looking under videos. It's right here. Maybe you could play it for us live now. <laughs> Too difficult? <laughs> play play live, you, you mean like on a guitar? <laughs> yeah, do you have a guitar? <laughs> I prefer making uh, music in my cave hidden from all eyes. That's, that's the enough. kind of musician I am. I'm not a performer. My ego the, isn't big enough. The Katsura video. Yeah, that yeah, one's all me. him. And, and also, I just sent you the link uh, to our mm. private chat. Uh, with I love, the, if you don't Yoko mind promoting a nearby area, I found the Katsura one. Mm, sure, go for it. Yeah, this all the. Another beautiful project you guys have done. Yeah, she's actually paragliding with my uh, instructor where I learned how to paraglide. <laughs> and you. You had great narration too. Yeah. Yeah. This was, she was based in the US, right? The, mm, yeah. the voiceover artist. Yeah. She really enjoyed working with us and, and mentioned that she would love to do it again. So 
yeah, a great voice. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not playing <laughs> once again. It's okay. These these big files, I guess. Oh, here we go. So beautiful. Is this with a drone as well, Tyler? Uh, some of the oh, shots. This, this was on a tripod, actually. Yeah. yeah, I think this particular shot was with my iPhone. Believe it or not, I t I had a few different time lapse shots, and the iPhone one ended up being the most beautiful one. <laughs> yeah. This was a quite fun project. That's amazing that you can use your telephone to create part of the video, right? Yeah, I generally try to avoid it, but every once in a while, it, it actually gets some good results. So for a time lapse, there's an app on the phone to take time lapse, and it actually yeah it worked out really well. Um, so for that shot, I had three cameras going, and the iPhone one was was the best shot. So that's yeah, the one it's I used. Interesting where the tech is going. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not opposed well, to using anything if it works. But yeah, hopefully. Not, uh, it's not really working. We'll have to give the link below, and people yeah, can go right. watch it in full volume on your computer wherever you are, and enjoy. Yeah, that'd be it that'd be ideal. That be anyways, better. we want to give. Yeah. Full volume with headphones is the best way to, <laughs> to enjoy Alric's beautiful work. Yes, for sure. How do you get inspired, Alric, for your music? Uh, well, I'm living here. That kind of helps most of the time. I'm surrounded by lots of inspiration. But usually uh, when working for, like, composing for pictures, I ask for some, uh, some of his footage before. Usually you get a lot of the feeling you need from the footage we have. Yeah, we always have a chicken and egg scenario every time we make a video. It's, yeah. do, I, do I cut some of the video first to nothing or to some test track and then give it to him? But then he gets kind of, if it's a test track, then he has to sort of get that same vibe as the track. Maybe it's hard for him to be creative. So, yeah, we've sort of yeah, found a balance that works. Yeah. Yeah, we had like a year to like try different stuff. And I feel like every time we make a new movie, it works a little bit better. Yeah, but like the Hattori video, for instance, I edited that video without Alaric's music uh, company at all, just with her live music. And then he saw it and said, actually, I think you should give me a lot more space here and you should do this here. And he kind of re-edited verbally my edit. And I was a little bit annoyed at the time because I spent so much time editing it. And then, uh, but he was right. And, and so I trusted his, what he saw in the video and I edited, I gave him the gaps and I sort of got rid of the music in certain parts and, and kind of restructured the edit. And then he basically added his music to it and it, it brought the whole video to life. So it was, yeah, I was really impressed. And I think like, this is some of the tougher thing with creative work in general, especially when you're working with somebody, yeah. you kind of, you always give each other feedback, but you're also like really personally tied to the things you're doing because you pour so much uh, of yourself into it. into it. Yeah. So it's like if somebody says like, you need to delete these sections, it's like deleting part of your heart. <laughs> yeah. uh, luckily, we found we, we, we uh, are okay with that. We, yeah, we're getting better at tolerating each other's feedback. But yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining today and sharing some of your insights about your amazing projects. I really respect all the hard work that you're doing and I really see a big payoff uh, in the next year from all this foundation work that you're doing to get people to this countryside uh, area. It's so beautiful. And we hope you can come visit. Yeah, yeah the guest house. I can't, I I'll can't try wait. to have a guest house ready by next year. <laughs> that would be great, yeah. 
but I can bring my tent, so I can I can be self reliant if need be yeah. as well. Well, also, we also I have can space sleep to in my car. Space yeah. to crash if you need. Yeah, plenty of space. Okay, great, great, great. Well, thank you so much, and uh, thank you everybody for joining. All the great yeah, questions and comments today as well. Mm. Yeah, and from from Colorado and New Zealand, the two places you mentioned. I, I love Colorado in America. It's my a lot of friends there, and yeah, I loved my time in New Zealand. Yeah. Still, my travel checklist, bucket great, list. Great people watching. So yeah, thanks for being part of it. Yeah, wonderful. And uh, maybe we'll catch up when the guest house is open and running in a few months' time. Mm, I hope so. A few months' time. You hear that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great right. day. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.